church, as your people, for your purposes, the glory of the kingdom in Jesus Christ. Pray for your Holy Spirit to move in his name. Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 1. And uh, I want to read a couple portions here from chapter 1 and then from chapter 2. So uh, I'm going to start in chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I want to flip over here to chapter 2, and I want to start in verse 13. So this is after the visit um, of the wise men who went to Herod, visited him, and, and, um, and went to worship Jesus. And then they were warned in a dream that Herod has bad intentions, so they, they left a different direction. And so this is after the, the wise men leave, verse 13. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men. He became furious and he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under, according to the time that he has ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. I hate detours. Do you? And, and as good West Michiganders, we got pretty used to those here this summer. And, uh, you know, you had 96 closing for a while. You had that stinking Lake Eastbrook. And then people are growling, wow. Uh, but then it got worse, right? And then, it, then they closed, like, the, over at East Paris. It's almost like they're like, let's close this road. Now let's think of the next, next most logical place 
for people. And let's close that one too, right? And, and it's like, oh, and it's, so it is, it's bad enough when you know it's coming, but then when you're driving and you have your, your plans and, you, and you're driving and all of a sudden you hit a detour. I remember one year there was a portion of 131 that was closed and, and we had the detour around going up to Lake Ann and you're like, oh, and you're going through all these small towns and you're watching the clock and it's so frustrating, right? To hit these, these detours and these unplanned detours and it's frustrating and annoying and... Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, that's life, isn't it, so many times? Detours, and a lot of them are unplanned. Things we didn't anticipate. Trials, challenges, difficulties. I mean, I remember back in the college days, right? You have your life all planned out, and, and I was going to do this this ministry, and I remember the sleepless night, my, my first night at, at Word of Life, and, and I decided to be part of a certain ministry, and God wouldn't let me sleep that night, and I knew exactly why, because my, my decision was based on something purely selfish, and, and finally, in the, the wee hours of the morning, I relented. I said, okay, God, I know what you want me to do, and, and God... God changed my direction there, right? And then I'm going to go, I remember this for our SMAT people. I was going go to go to pilot school. I, I was planning to be, a, I was going to go to Moody and do pilot school. And then as college, God's like, no, you're not smart enough for that, you know? And, you know, and, uh, and so, you know, God, God changed that, you know? And then I'm going to marry so-and-so. And that became obviously not the case. And then, you know, and this, this, and, and, and then God finally directs me to the best, right? To, to Kathy. Does that make up for the piano thing earlier? Okay, good. Um, <laughs> and then um, we get pregnant with our first child, and then we don't have that first child. And, and, um, and our third, and we don't have that one. And, but God gives us um, four, and, and then adoption comes out of the blue, and where did that come from? And okay, God, and... and this isn't how I, how I panel, but, but it's okay, right? The ebbs and flows of life. This summer, <laughs> Jeff going, eh, God's calling me somewhere else. Like, what? Come on. Unplanned detours. Story of our life sometimes, right? And this is what I found, too. Sometimes it's not always like these big ones, like the I-96 closure, you know, sometimes it's more like a lot of the little, like, East Paris closures, right? It's, sometimes it's, it's, it's more of these smaller detours, but you get enough of them, and you're like, okay, I'm done. Like, stop, <laughs> you know, and they pile up, and, and it can get frustrating. And I thought of Joseph and Mary. You talk about unplanned detours, <laughs> right? Um, man, this is like the ultimate of unplanned detours for both of them, this young couple. Um, so, so we read this account in Matthew. And Matthew focuses really on Joseph's perspective. Um, and that there's some reasons for that that's significant. He, he's part of what Matthew's doing is establishing Jesus' claim to the throne. And that was through Joseph. It's Joseph's genealogy there in Matthew chapter 1. So we're seeing this, this narrative from, almost from Joseph's perspective. And, and he's, he's very central um, in, in, in Matthew's gospel. He's, he's careful to point out here at the end of this that Joseph was the one who assigned Jesus his name. I don't know if you caught that. But he called him Jesus. That, w- that was Joseph assuming uh, paternal responsibility for Jesus. That was significant because this is the link to the Davidic line. right? Um, so you have this focal point of Joseph. And I love Joseph, and I think he's a great example for us on handling unplanned detours in his life. Um, let me start here. Do we got, um, 
So the back one's not working, it, um, but that's okay. I'll just turn around. Um, look at Joseph's life here. Uh, unplanned detours caused Joseph pain and desperation and struggle. Right? Chapter 1, verse, verse 18. You, you think about hearing what Joseph heard. Right? Joseph, I'm pregnant. I mean, this was his, his girl. <laughs> he was, he was going to marry this, this girl. And, and I wonder, you know, if, if you're reading, I'm reading this going, why, why didn't God just appear to both of them at the same time? Like, it makes more sense to me. <laughs> not to go, but, but right, would not have cut down on a whole lot of distress in Joseph's life and tension and emotional unrest. But God doesn't always operate the way we think is best. So you have this betrothal period, which back in this time, it was super serious. And I'd say it's even more serious than kind of engagement in, in our modern day culture. Mary wasn't just his girlfriend. Um, there was a commitment here, a, a strong commitment. And it, it wasn't uncommon for betrothal periods to start around ages 12 or 13 for a girl. And, and then the groom would fulfill his, his terms of the marriage contract with the bride's father. And then she would come under his authority. And, uh, and it was during this, this period that, that, that Joseph uh, and Mary receive uh, this message. And, and, and if you look back in the law in Deuteronomy, a betrothed woman who was found guilty of adultery um, could, could be killed for that. I mean, that's how big of a deal this was. So there's this emotional struggle for, for Joseph. I mean, th- there's humiliation here for him. Right? He's, he's, been, he's been jilted. Um, Remember when I was at Cedarville, they used to have what they called the Heisman. And it wasn't a football award. These guys would get together and they'd tell the stories of how they got dumped. And the guy who had the best I got dumped story would win the Heisman for the year. Uh, you know, uh, Joseph would win the Heisman here, you know. Like, this was bad. Here was his beloved, and, and he truly loves Mary. You, you, this, this is clear in the way he, he's handling this. He, he doesn't want her to be shamed. He truly loves her. So I'm sure when he heard this news, there was, there was moments of, uh, of mixed emotions, of anger and sorrow and, and disbelief, right? You know? I mean, one, reason, one, one minute he's walking around singing, My Girl. And now he's walking around singing, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. I mean, it's, it, like this went bad. And he's emotional and he's heartbroken. And, and if you look in verse 19 and 20, I love this. This is how Joseph is handling this unplanned detour. Look in that, verse 19 and 20. As he considered these things, considered, it's, it's as he gave serious thought to these things. Joseph didn't just act out of emotion. He's considering, he's thinking, he's a just and godly man. And this is how we handle unplanned detours. We consider and we think about responsibility and we think about grace and we think about the sovereignty of God and we think about truth. And you get the sense that this godly man is considering and he's weighing all of these things. It's a weighty decision he's about to make. And I can't imagine the agonizing nature of that process for him. But he does things the right way. The description of Joseph as just probably means that he was careful to observe the law. So he says he's going to put her away secretly. 
One of my professors at the seminary wrote a commentary on Matthew and uh, Dr. Turner, and he says this, Joseph becomes something of a model of one whose high standards are balanced with compassion. I mean, he could have crushed Mary. He could have absolutely crushed her, publicly shamed her, and every, every other thing. And, and not only with, with the fact that she's pregnant, right, if I'm Joseph, not only the fact that she's pregnant, like, not, not only would that have ticked me off, but then the fact that she, she thinks I'm stupid. I mean, think about it. Joseph, I didn't do anything. Like, Mary, that's not the way this works, right? I'm, I, like, what, seriously? You're pregnant, and you're telling me you haven't been with a man. <laughs> I, I, I'm like, I'd be annoyed. And he could have crushed her. <laughs> but, but that's not what he does. That's not what he does. So he responds in a measured way to the unplanned detour of his life. This crushing blow. Fear is a theme throughout the, the birth narrative. Um, oh, we're not going to go to that one yet. Don't worry. Fear is a theme throughout the birth narrative. Unplanned detours can bring fear, right? And they did. Though we're only told once in the passage that Joseph was afraid, and that's in chapter 2, verse 22, uh, the angel in one twenty tells him to not fear to take Mary as his wife. And though the word doesn't appear when Joseph is told to flee to Bethlehem, you can be sure that there was probably a little bit of anxiety as he's fleeing in the middle of the night because he's told Herod wants to kill your baby. Okay? There's probably some fear there. And I was thinking about this. I read something that said at that time at Bethlehem, in a place like Bethlehem, there was probably between 10 to 30 children under the age of two in a village that size. And again, that's kind of an estimate, kind of a guess, but it makes sense. It was a smaller town. And I started thinking about this, and, and, and you know, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Mary and Joseph were hunted, in a sense. When those Roman soldiers come into Bethlehem, everyone in there knows everybody. They know where all the two-year-olds and under live. They're all friends. It's a small village in ancient Near East. There's those connections. And the unique circumstances around Jesus' birth, right? The shepherds had come and were told in that account that they go out and they tell everyone what had happened. So, so everyone probably knew where this new family lived, that shepherds came to visit in the middle of the night who said angels were announcing their birth. And then on top of that, just a day or two before, you had a caravan that would have been very obvious and conspicuous in a place like Bethlehem, these wise men coming, and everyone knew what house they went to. So if I'm a mom in Bethlehem, and Roman soldiers are coming to slaughter my two-year-old, I'm going, this isn't the one you want. They lived down at Church Street. <laughs> 25 Church Street. That's what, it, that's what you know, I'm, I'm riding them out. And of course, the soldiers, the, the soldiers show up, and no one's there. Right? I mean, this was not like kill all the two-year-olds in, in, in Grand Rapids. There you know, was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them, and we hope we get them all. No, they knew how many were there. They knew which ones had left. This is serious. Unplanned detours, right? Wow. Fear is a theme here. The point is this. There are time times when the unfolding of God's plan for us requires circumstances to be such that fear is a natural human response. And I think God understands this. 
I think God understands us. How often in Scripture do we see him patiently allaying the fears of his chosen servants? Over and over and over again. And Joseph is vulnerable here. Sometimes God's plan will leave us in a vulnerable place. It left Joseph vulnerable. But let's put vulnerable in quotes, right? Because he's vulnerable from our perspective. But he's not really because he's in the middle of God's plan, following God's direction for his life. It feels like this sometimes, though, doesn't it? I'm sure there's a certain sense of vulnerability. Maybe Jen could speak as you take your little kids to a place like Africa for the first time. There's a little bit of a feeling of, of vulnerability, right? You're confident in God's plan, but, man, you know, and, and it's just natural. Like, this could happen, this could happen, this could happen. Vulnerable. Sometimes standing up for what's right at school or work leaves us feeling vulnerable. Sometimes stepping out and doing something we know God is calling us to do leaves us feeling vulnerable. Sometimes obeying God will leave us feeling like we're exposed. But we're not. And any unplanned detour that comes from that is part of God's good plan for us, right? Unplanned detours caused inconvenience and forced Joseph to change his plans. God's plans for me may require that I surrender my plans and my agenda. Proverbs 16, 19 says, man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his path, right? God oftentimes is notorious for disrupting, and that's okay. I remember I was so excited. My senior year of high school, I was, I, um, or, I'm sorry, between my junior and senior year of high school, I was, I was supposed to go on a missions trip uh, to Australia. I was super excited. Pretty cool. I was going to go with, uh, with Word of Life and, and uh, be part of this, this work there and work at a camp and and um, about a month before we were going, I was playing in a softball tournament at church. And we were playing other youth groups from the area. And I was pitching. And, um, and we were playing this really good team in, the, in kind of the round around the playoff part of the tournament. We are playing this really good team. And this guy, really good hitter on their team, he fouls two balls in a row off the third baseline. And our third baseman dropped two pop-ups beyond the third baseline. And I was, I was slightly... And righteous anger. <laughs> I pitch the ball again, and he fouls a third one off. And I say to myself, I'm not leaving this one up to the third baseman. I'm catching this ball. And I just yelled, mine. And I took off on a dead run, foul territory. I'm looking up. I catch the ball. Ted, I caught the ball. Was, you'd be impressed. It's a baseball guy. I caught the ball just in time to look down and notice that the bleachers were right here. And I started to jump, and my leg caught about the second row of the bleachers. I went over the top, landed on the other side, held on to the ball. <laughs> I held it up. And then I started to get up, and I noticed that half my leg was not coming with me. And I'm like, ugh. And I went down, and there was a compound fracture, both bones right here, shattered. My dad was on another field. He saw it. He said, I heard the crack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My mom came over, as any mo good mom would, and she's sobbing. And, um, and in about two minutes, we put it together. I'm not going to Australia in four weeks. That was crushing. an unplanned detour. 
But the next summer, God directed me to Ukraine. And now looking back on it, I wouldn't trade anything for that. I wouldn't have chose that path. I wouldn't have chose that detour. But that's what God did. And God had a plan for me to shape me and form me in a way differently than I thought I needed to be shaped and formed. So sometimes it requires me to change my plans. Joseph and Mary had plans. Ben Witherington in his commentary writes this, The intention of Matthew is to paint a picture of a devout Jewish man who is willing to give up what was often perceived to be a Jewish father's greatest privilege, the siring of his firstborn son, in order to obey God's will. Joseph now had to journey to Bethlehem with a pregnant wife. This is not convenient, right? That's not a short walk. And then they have to go on and flee in the middle of the night and go to Egypt, which is about a 90-mile walk with a newborn. Again, we used to drive 12 hours to Delaware with newborns. That wasn't fun. I can't imagine walking 90 miles to Egypt with one, right? There's no... Fast food place on the side of the road. No Ohio Turnpike, you know, service station. This was hard. This was inconvenience. It seems like he intended to live in Judea upon returning from Egypt. We see there in in Matthew 2.22, which makes sense. If this was the Messiah, right, which Joseph seemed to get that, then probably should raise him in the city of David. But but then he gets there and Archelaus is is ruling and and he's warned again, don't settle here, go up north and live in, in Nazareth. And then that's where... They end up settling. And here's one, and Matthew points this out, and not to be crass, but he says, too, sexual relations were on hold, right? Matthew says, and and Joseph knew her not until the child was born, right? How would wait a few months (laughs) go with any of us, you know, on the night of our honeymoon? Like, yeah, why don't you wait a few months? Are you kidding me? (laughs) But even that. Joseph surrenders. Remember, God is asking him to do an amazing thing here. Unplanned detours require Joseph's immediate obedience and action. God's plan for me often requires response. Does, I'm sorry, God's plans for me require response. And I love it. This is such, where Joseph is such a great model for us. In verse 20 through 25, we see he immediately goes and takes Mary as his wife, and he protects her morality in doing so. Immediately he goes and takes her as his wife. Can you imagine the conversation that morning when Joseph goes to Mary after he received this message from God? Can you imagine what went through Mary's mind? Her husband was a man who heard God, who was filled with faith, and who responded to God in obedience. I mean, Mary must have been overwhelmed and overcome with emotion. Her godly, God-fearing, spirit-filled, obedient husband, willing to go along with this disruption to their plans. And then again, he, he names Jesus just as he was told. And again, as I mentioned earlier, in doing this as a biological and legal son of David himself, Joseph now incorporates Jesus into the line of David. And that's why the designation son of David is used here throughout several times. And the the angel's reminding him when he uses it at what's at stake. Jesus' royal pedigree. Joseph's obedience. 
Blend those things together. He immediately flees and goes to Egypt when he is told, and he leaves Egypt and returns to Israel when he was told, and he follows the warning that leads him to Galilee, to the city of Nazareth, when he was told. Again, Dr. Turner writes, Joseph gets up and does exactly as he is told without hesitation or question. Given his previous perplexity and plan, this is nothing less than remarkable and compares to Mary's humble obedience in Luke 138. Every time Joseph is told to do something, he obeys immediately. This is how we handle unplanned detours. We submit to God. I don't always do that. I try to fix it on my own first. I try to think of how I can make this easier, how I can get out from this, how I can get it back to the way I wanted it to be. And sometimes we just have to throw up our hands and say, I submit. What do you have for me here, God? I will do as you say And here's the thing, too, that's fascinating. Several times, Joseph's obedience is linked to the fulfillment of prophecy. Go to Egypt. Okay, God. And he goes. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. Go to Nazareth. Okay, God. He'll be called a Nazarene. See, these weren't arbitrary detours in Joseph's life. These were part of a divine ordained plan. And Joseph was just being a willing and obedient player. And I can promise you this this morning, that the unplanned detours that come into your life are not arbitrary and out of the blue and take God by surprise. He has the pages of your life written before you were born, and you have purpose and meaning, and he has called you to fulfill your purpose and meaning. So the things that come into your life are not arbitrary, but they're the fulfillment of God's plan for you, for his glory and your good. And you can have so much confidence in that, even when it stinks, and I can guarantee you that there were days that stunk for Mary and Joseph but it was all part of the fulfillment of prophecy and God's purposes the virgin birth was a fulfillment of prophecy right Galilee is important in Matthew's gospel and the connections between Galilee demonstrates the fulfillment of several prophecies in in Isaiah all of these things In every scene, Joseph simply acts without speaking. You ever notice that? Joseph actually is not quoted. But he speaks. He speaks. He shouts. Through his life and his obedience. He is characterized by prompt, simple, unspectacular obedience. And this is righteousness. And this is discipleship to Jesus in the New Testament. Obey what God says. Just do it. I love that unspectacular obedience. The majority of the Christian life is not lived out in these great moments of decision that have these huge earth-shattering impacts. The majority of the Christian life is lived out in day-to-day mundane obedience. Loving my wife the way I should. Helping fold laundry. Serving my kids. Controlling my anger. Watching when I'm turning my head the other way when the radar goes up. There's a woman while I'm turning my right? All these things. Serving when I hear a brother is in need, doing something to meet that need. Loving others the way I should. It's plain, unspectacular obedience. That sometimes may be an inconvenience to me and cause a detour in my day, but it's unspectacular obedience, and I'm going to do it because it fulfills God's plan and desire for me. Right? Hmm. Lastly, 
unplanned detours resulted in great glory for God and in great joy. My submission to God's plans will bring God glory and will bring me joy as his purposes are accomplished through me. Paul reflects on this so well in Philippians chapter 1, writing from prison. <laughs> Verses 12 and 18, 12 through 18. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me, <laughs> the circumstances I didn't choose, what has happened to me has really resulted in God's glory and furtherance of the gospel. And what does Paul say? In this I rejoice. Right? We did Philippians not too long ago. We remember this, right? I rejoice. In this, I rejoice. I remember when Kathy and I uh, were getting married. We had an apartment lined up out in Goshen, Indiana, where we were going to live for the first few months of our marriage before we moved up to, uh, up here for seminary. And we had this apartment lined up, and Kathy called me. It was when I was still in Delaware, and she was out here in Indiana, and and she called, and she's upset, and she said, we lost the apartment. I said, what do you mean we lost the apartment? And she said, the, your credit check came back bad. I'm like, I don't even use And And that was a long, that was, uh, I'd had ACL surgery, and there had been a billing mistake through the insurance and Cedar. So actually, it was a double bust, because we were able to actually get that taken care of and straightened out. But in the meantime, we lose this apartment. And we're like, what are we going to do? We get a call from a man just a, a couple days later, maybe. I don't remember how long it was, Kath, but uh, not too long after that. Kathy calls me back, and there was a man there who lived in Goshen uh, during the summer, but during the, the, the school year, lived out in California. He, he worked with um, at John MacArthur's church or with the Master's College, and um, so he only was in Indiana for part of the year. So he calls Kathy, and he's like, hey, I hear you guys are getting married. He goes, we're looking for someone to live in our condo for the school year. Free rent, just pay Utilities, and that's it. Would, would you guys be interested? <laughs> I don't know. Let us pray about it. <laughs> and I mentioned it was on a golf course. Had a jacuzzi in the bathroom. Little light switches that turned on the fireplace. So like, upgrade, major, free. Right? What did that, what? We're able to work. Money that would have gone towards rent now goes towards paying off school loan. Sets us up to come to seminary. Uh, right? For a couple days there, though, it was annoying. But we said, okay, God, we're serving you. We're heading to seminary, whatever you want. And at the end, God's plan, the detour, it resulted in joy. By submitting his life, Joseph entered a great drama. Revelation 12, right, we've talked about that, this great dragon, this great drama playing out. I don't think Joseph even began to grasp what was, what was happening. And we probably don't either most of the time. But behind the scenes, God is doing his thing and a war is being fought. And when we embrace the detours and obey in the midst of them, when we surrender our plans and agendas for the sake of the kingdom, we too, like Joseph, are participating in this grand story that God is writing. John Piper on the website, Desiring God, they write this. The Holy, family, the Holy Family's first few years were not tranquil. They were filled with grueling travel during the hardest part of pregnancy. 
a birth in a barn, no steady income, an assassination attempt, two desert crossings on foot with an infant, living in a foreign country, waiting on God for guidance and provisions just in the nick of time. It was difficult, expensive, time-consuming, career-delaying, and full of uncertainty, and it was God's will. The unplanned and efficient detours of our lives are planned by God. They're common for disciples, and they commonly don't make sense in the moment. But God's ways are not our ways because our lives are not about him. I'm sorry, because our lives are about him. (laughs) You're like, wait a minute, that's the worst thing you said all day. (laughs) Are about him, not about us. He is orchestrating far more than we know in every unexpected event and delay. So when you find yourself suddenly moving in a direction you had not planned, take heart, hold tight, and trust God's navigation. By the way, two times in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, the Holy Spirit is mentioned. The Holy Spirit is mentioned twice. That's significant. God is doing his thing. Unplanned only applies to our perspective. Never to God's. This is a book I read a while back. I asked the worship team to come on up, and I'm going to read this as we close. This is from um, Tom Brokaw's book, The Greatest Generation. Half the kids in here don't know who Tom Brokaw is, which is, uh, um, but uh, the greatest generation, and he's writing about the World War II generation who, um, who fought and got, sacrificed and gave of themselves. And this is what he writes about them. These men and women came of age in the Great Depression when economic despair hovered over the land like a plague. They had watched their parents lose their businesses, their farms, their jobs, their hopes, They had learned to accept a future that played out one day at a time. Then, just as there was a glimmer of economic recovery, war exploded across Europe and Asia. When Pearl Harbor made it irrefutably clear that America was not a fortress, this generation was summoned to the parade ground and told to train for war. They left their ranches in Sully County, South Dakota, their jobs on the main street of America's Georgia. They gave up their place on the assembly lines in Detroit and in the ranks of Wall Street. They quit school or went from cap and gown directly into uniform. They answered the call to help save the world from the two most powerful and ruthless military machines ever assembled, instruments of conquest in the hands of fascist maniacs. They faced great odds and a late start, but they did not protest. At a time in their lives when their days and nights should have been filled with innocent adventure, love, and the lessons of the workday world, they were fighting, often hand in hand in the most primitive conditions possible, across the bloodied landscape of France, Belgium, Italy, and Austria. They fought their way up a necklace of South Pacific islands few had ever heard of before and made them a fixed part of American history. Islands with names like Iwo Jima, Guadalcanal, and Okinawa. They were in the air every day in skies filled with terror, and they went, from sea, went uh, to sea on hostile waters far removed from the shores of their homeland. But he goes on the right. They didn't ask for anything in return. They just gave. I often would try to get my grandpa to talk about that. He never would, barely. He was on Normandy second day. But grandpa never complained about that. All he'd say is that we just did what we had to do. We just did what we were called to do. That's going to be our lives as Christians sometimes. We're going to be unplanned detours. And we just have to obey and follow and do what God has called us to do. And it may require sacrifice, and it may require inconvenience. But God is working out something far beyond our wildest dreams, and we get to be part of it. 
the church celebrate that this Christmas. The hope of this child in Bethlehem is our hope. He suffered and he died, but he fixed his eyes on the prize. Paul calls us to do the same. One day it'll be worth it all, church. It'll be worth it. Celebrate that today. Celebrate your God who's sovereignly in control of everything. And look to the baby in Bethlehem for your guidance and your encouragement.